You're listening to Live with the League, part of the We Love Where You Live podcast series brought to you by the Michigan Municipal League. Okay, it looks like we are all set to go. Welcome to another edition of Live with the League, our um, twice monthly conversation with our Lansing staff and, and special guests uh, from time to time. Uh, I am Matt Bach, uh, Assistant Director of Strategic Communications with the Michigan Municipal League. And we do have our full Lansing team on uh, the call with us today. But uh, first, we do have a special guest today. We have Chad Livengood uh, with Crane's Detroit Business. Uh, Chad is a longtime uh, political reporter. I believe he started off in, in Jackson and has been at the Detroit, one of the Detroit papers. I forget which one. I think it was the news. Um, then you were in Lansing covering things, and now you're at Crane. So you've been all over, but you've been around for a long time. and really have the pulse uh, of the, the political landscape in Michigan. So thank you for joining us, Chad. Hey, thanks for having me, Matt. And uh, we, I don't think, I don't know if we've had a reporter on this uh, Live with the League show or our predecessor, Monday Morning Live. So if you have any questions for Chad, uh, just general questions about, you know, how media covers local government, or I'm sure he would have some opinions on that, or any advice you may have, or, or, or you would like to hear from Chad, advice from Chad, feel free to post those questions in the chat. Uh, as well as post any questions you have for our Lansing team in the chat. So, Chad, uh, the reason we're having you on today is you just uh, posted, uh, you do a, a monthly thing at Cranes called Cranes Forum. And it's a, it's an article, kind of you were, you were a series of articles and columns that focus on a, a particular issue. And this month's um, edition just dropped yesterday, I believe, and Cranes. And you can find that at, at, at Cranes Detroit. Uh, Betsy, will, she just already posted the link. Um, and Chad, this month's uh, theme is the basically the political landscape uh, leading up to the governor's state of the state address this week. Tell us a little bit about the forum um, and, and the theme this week and some things that people will find, particularly maybe as it relates to local government uh, and why you decided to take this, uh, this month's theme um, for the state of the state and legislative issues. Yeah, well, thanks a lot for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, as I said, I'm Chad Livengood. I'm senior editor at Cranes Detroit Business. I've uh, been with Cranes for a little over five, four years now. Previously was uh, the uh, Lansing Bureau Chief for the Detroit News, uh, covering state government on a daily basis. Now I do it a little less uh, than daily, but um, uh, although the pandemic has kind of you know required uh, a, a daily uh, check-in in Lansing, although none of us are physically there anymore, it seems. But um, um, but I, uh, I cover state government and public policy for Cranes, uh, looking at any issues that basically intersect business or the economy. So uh, there is a, a wide uh, variety of things that I might, uh, I might dive into on any given uh, month or daily basis. Uh, um, uh, right now, you know, think people still want to have information about the pandemic. Um, and they want to know information about how state government is regulating their business or, or, or their city, or there's just our normal daily life. Uh, there's just, um, obviously we're now 10 months into this and um, people are looking for, they're looking for information about how to get out of it. Um, um, and so that's, that's kind of my daily job at, at Cranes. Um, the forum is a, is a monthly section we started uh, in uh, early 2019 and uh, had some interruptions because of the pandemic initially last year, but um, uh, it's a monthly section that focuses on a public policy issue where we try to break down a particular issue or a set of issues 
This month is uh, focused on the state of the state address. The governor is going to deliver Wednesday in an unusual format. It's going to be in a vacant room uh, with no legislators or Supreme Court justices or other dignitaries of the state. And um, or no media, uh, for that matter. But does well. that mean we're going to have a lot less standing applause breaks? That's going to be a nice thing, right? <laughs> uh, I'm told it's going to be 20, 25 minutes. So it's going to be the, probably the fastest, uh, you know, uh, state of the state. But but probably just as arguably just as important of any state of the state address. I mean, we're talking about, we have just uh, kind of barely gotten through um, the last 10 months without having a major economic collapse. Um, I think, uh, I don't think there's any disputing at this point that the CARES Act, the additional aid that it pro provided for, for unemployment uh, and also um, the, the PPP loans really kept a lot of the economy afloat. Uh, it's shown up in the, in the spending data. I mean, there's no real plausible reason why the state has $1.2 billion more revenue right now than they did they projected in, in August, other than uh, for the fact that the, the stimulus uh, efforts of the federal government are, have worked. And, uh, and so um, kind of moving forward, we've got, we've, got, uh, we've got to figure out how to get this economy back uh, on its feet without uh, piling up trillions of dollars of debt and is basically the, the, the long and short of what, what the challenge is. And we know in Michigan that uh, economic recessions have a longer tail uh, in, because of the impact of manufacturing uh, and the very large base of manufacturing. And that is obviously very much a big part of the property tax base of you all's cities. Um, and I mean, I just was reviewing the numbers, uh, 65,000 manufacturing jobs, net loss until 2020. Um, over 200,000 net loss jobs to the hospitality industry. Uh, it's kind of, uh, you know, 47% uh, of the jobs uh, disappeared last year <clears throat> and have, aren't guaranteed to come back. Um, uh, even on February 1st, when, when the, um, uh, the dining restrictions get lifted, um, we've got a long uh, haul there. And so, so for this month's uh, forum section, I, I went and um, I wanted to kind of survey some longtime Democratic um, uh, Party consultants, operatives, uh, um, uh, public servants who have, you know, who have advised past governors uh, or worked in other administrations to, to kind of get their take on how, how this governor should proceed forward, given uh, all that she has gone through in the last year, uh, arguably no governor in Michigan has ever faced the kind of calamities that this governor did last year. Um, and, and from there, what, what to do and what, what type of policies pursue, um, given the economic conditions, given that the pandemic is nowhere near dead, and um, given the relationship with the legislature, which is, you know, quite intransent uh, at, at times and intractable at times as well. Um, and they would also say the same thing about her. Uh, and, and so um, I, I saw so a couple of the folks that I talked to. One, you, many of you all know, is uh, Dave Waymeyer, who I know uh, uh, his firm, Martin Waymeyer, is, um, uh, does communications work for the, for the league. Uh, yeah. One is former uh, former governor, uh, former lieutenant governor uh, John Sherry. Uh, talked to Diane Byram of uh, Byram Fisk, who has multiple hats. As she's the chair of the MSU Board of Tr Trustees, and of course she was a former Democratic lawmaker. Um, uh, talked to uh, uh, 
um, Vernice Davis Anthony, who was public health director under John Engler, but uh, has worked under uh, Mike Duggan uh, and and um, and, uh, and actually came out of the uh, McNamara machine like Mike Duggan as well. Um, yeah. And so uh, a couple, she had an interesting perspective about public health that I I think uh, we really have got to get this conversation going now. Um, it's it would be good it would behoove municipal leaders to start taking uh, a lot of notes right now about all the things that they they have noticed that have gone wrong with public health and, and uh, systems that they maybe have long thought was there but no one in Lansing is paying attention. I think if there's any time right now, and this might be more for the counties than necessarily the cities. This counties run the health departments, but um, generally, but I uh, but I think there's got to be a conversation about do, do we do we want to keep this system we got this decentralized system uh, that you know is um, uh, there's communication barriers uh, we learned that in in more than just this pandemic we learned it in the Flint water crisis for sure uh, where where county health departments and the state state health department were talking um, and and Vernice uh, uh, Davis Anthony really raised that question um, and said, you know, it, now is the time to kind of start thinking about that. Um, the other thing that um, uh, that that both Dave Waymeyer and uh, Gil Jacobs of the of the uh, Michigan League for Public Policy brought up um, that they think that you know a common issue that the legislature and the governor can get behind this year is 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 rural poverty. Um, and and looking at at reconsidering um, the 2011 tax changes that scaled back the earned income tax uh, credit um, uh, because that was as, as some of you all might remember the legislature and Governor Snyder at the time as part of their big overhaul of the tax code they scaled that back from 20 percent of the federal credit to six percent. There's been attempts to try to bring it back. Um, they, they've all kind of faltered at times. Governor Whitmer herself, I, I believe in the first um, uh, budget uh, in 2019, she, she, um, she called for it. Um, but, um, yeah, the price tag of that thing, uh, it, it, you know, this uh, was initially a $76 million hit to the general fund. And of course, that uh, is not um, uh, a place people want to go get give hits to uh, right. too often. Um, and so, um, so yeah, we broke down a whole bunch of different issues. Uh, some other one, ones. One thing I did want to jump in right there. One thing you talked about the rural poverty I thought was really interesting is you had Dave Waymeyer, I think he was quoted saying that poverty is it's not just an urban or a rural issue. It's, it's, it's everybody. He said, Ross Common, people that are in the poverty level are facing the same issues and concerns that people in the city of Flint are. So it, to me, that was like a, a statewide issue. It's not just like a, like a so often we hear, you know, urban center versus a rural, but this was something that they could all kind of come, come to. So I think that's what you're getting to is it's kind of like an issue of common ground that everyone can kind of agree on. Yeah. Um, the other issue that people have brought up and, and I, I think there's some interest in this from um, uh, uh, some some Republican lawmakers, including the new speaker, um, Jason Wentworth, is is child care. The cost of child care um, uh, really uh, really puts a lot of crimp on a lot of uh, middle class families, and so that could, that is an issue. <clears throat> and um, when you start thinking about issues in cities, um, that is a, that's a big issue living in a city and having affordable child care uh, is as part of the livability of the city as well. And so um, I, I know this because I lived in Lansing and 
and there's a there's some places in Lansing that cost two fifty to three hundred dollars a child per for a week, uh, and it's pretty expensive. Uh, but it doesn't get much better in suburbia either, and it certainly the availability of it doesn't get any better in rural parts of the of the state. So um, there's there's definitely uh, some common links there of issues. Uh, that's why I try to seek out to sort of explore. Kind of a, as a preview, I don't know what the governor is going to uh, now propose, other than what she has said in recent uh, weeks with that COVID recovery uh, plan that she put out last week, the $5.6 billion um, dollar package that mostly is um, passed through a federal funds, but there's some obviously some big issues in, in that for uh, municipalities. Uh, namely, I, I mean, this, this money that the feds are going to give the state to the tune of, I think, 50 million dollars a month uh, in uh, rental assistance. Uh, that seems like a pretty big issue uh, for, for, for cities right now. Because um, if we start getting mass evictions in, in, in rental properties, particularly houses, uh, we're gonna have a, a whole new uh, crisis on our hands in, 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 in housing in the right. state. And then that'll, that'll lead to some further de destabilization of, of uh, property values and taxes. Right now, I'm, I'm told my audio is not doing well, so I'm going to turn my camera off here. I'm hoping that works better. Um, we've did all the audio tests, of course, before the show, um, and it doesn't work. So, Chad, I did want to have you, uh, I'm going to stop talking, I'm going to log out, log back in, but if you could kind of touch on a couple of the issues that we talked about, um, open the uh, virtual meetings and things like that, I'm going to... Chris Hackarth, if you could jump on, I'm going to log on and log back on. But Chris or Chad, if you could talk about some of the issues that we set up in advance, and I'll call you right back. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, so uh, yeah, uh, boy, technology, what a what a what a gem it is. Um, so one of the questions uh, is whether um, our system for funding communities. Um, which you know, after covering this for many years, I would I would have to agree it's broken. Um, whether we're going to get it back on track, and whether we got the um, uh, the the political will in Lansing, I'm not so sure yet um, that there is. Um, uh, one of the things I commonly notice in Lansing in, in term limits, um, not and just not just the turnover and all the problems that come with that. But it's it's people's attention span uh, is so short, um, and um, and you have and then they're, what their issues that they work on are so pet issues and so limited uh, to what um, part and it's partly this capacity. It's like anything else anybody else does. Uh, else does. You know, if you're the you're you're the um, the, the the finance director of a, of a city. Um, you just don't have your hand on what's going on down at DPW every day, unless unless they're spending more money than you want them to spend. Uh, and I use that sort of as the same kind of analogy to the legislature. Um, you know, if you come in and 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 uh, you know you you you're you're focused on uh, you know um, agriculture issues. Uh, well, what's going on at the universities may not, with the exception of Michigan State, ag extension may not really affect you. Um, and um, I, I think you got to really um, think about how to get to these legislators on the on the that aren't normally thought of as the people to go to. Um, you know, I have to get really a build up a, a bigger, better coalition at times. Um, I, I often see this uh, where people just they they. they Sort of only focus on 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 like the chairman of the committee that 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 is their you know issue and and 
Um, and getting legislators to, it's a challenge, getting legislators to care about things, um, you know, that are outside of their realm um, is, is difficult. I um, just sort of, sort of riff here for a second. Um, uh, the late Tom Casperson, state senator from West Canaba, um, single-handedly uh, brought uh, the Regional Transit Authority uh, legislation to uh, a vote uh, for Metro Detroit. Um, and, it, and only after he went on a bus ride with uh, uh, former Senator Bert Johnson uh, of Highland Park and, and for a day, just rode buses for a day and realized, boy, people sure, sure shouldn't have to live like this. Like <laughs> have to wait for an hour for, or more for, for, a, for a bus and then have to make transfers and take three hours and basically make, make a trek that would take you 30 minutes in a car uh, across Metro Detroit. Um, we need more legislators like that, to be honest, uh, who will leave their comfort zone and go check something out. Um, um, I, I just often think that that is, um, even though I should preface, we haven't really made any progress on, on regional transit in Southeast Michigan, even since we got the RTA. Um, but that's, but that, uh, but besides the point, it, that kind of relationships um, is golden in Lansing as far as getting things accomplished and getting people to, to take on big issues. Right. Well, Chad, I hope, is my audio better now? I hope. Better. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you for everybody for the patience. Um, so one of the articles in the forum, of course, I would be remiss if I did mention was our own Dan Gil Martin had a, had a column in there about the kind of the, what we're hoping to see happen with cities. He talked about our, um, our community stabilization plan, uh, resolving conflicts between heading proposal A, uh, helping our 24 income tax cities. What do, what do you think is some of the appetite for some of those things that we called for? And I'm a little nervous to hear your answer. <laughs> so go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, people are realizing there's there's a couple of crises on the horizon. Um, I think the, the first wake up call will be tax season. Uh, frankly, when when um, thousands of de of workers in Detroit have been working remotely, go and file for a re a refund on income taxes because they didn't actually physically work in Detroit. Um, it's not just going to be the um, the lawyers anymore uh, that are that are are doing that, pursuing that, which was always been the fight in the city of Detroit with some of the big law firms. I think you're going to see Quicken Loans employees in the mass who have been selling mortgages from basement in Royal Oak uh, or, or, or elsewhere, um, you know, file for those returns against the income tax. And that's going to, I mean, the city has been preparing for that. They've been bracing for, you know, and I think I've I got to imagine that um, every city from Lansing to Walker to, to Ionia is, is prepared, that has an income tax is preparing for that as well. Um, but, um, you know, in the case of Ionia, the prison guards are still going to prison every day, um, and and but that, but um, but when it comes to Detroit and Grand Rapids and probably even Lansing with, with city uh, with, with city and state and uh, workers, um, you know, who have been working remotely, that may not be the case, and so um, I think we're gonna you know see kind of an up you know a little bit of a potential you know um, uh, sticker shock at, at the. Um, the refunds people people legally pursue um, and, uh, and and try to get against uh, not paying on the argument that you know, they didn't go in the office for nine months last year um, and 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 that will obviously carry on in this year as well. Um, right. so the the um, uh, I, I feel like the COVID 
um, hangover is going to last a long time. Okay. Well, I would like to bring out our Lansing team, Shad. You, you said you, <clears throat> you would be able to hang on with this. So I wanted to bring out our Lansing team now to kind of talk about <clears throat> some of the issues uh, they have. If you have anything to respond to, things that Chad said, uh, feel free to do that as well. But uh, I, I thank you, team, for joining us. We got Jen, John, uh, Harrison, and Chris. Um, so we know the legislature is getting, just getting underway. This morning, we had a great event of our legislative committee kickoff. We had over 170 members volunteer. I think we had almost 130 of them were able to make the event this morning. Uh, talk a little bit about this legislative kickoff event and, and uh, kind of what it means to kind of guiding us through, through the rest of the year and, and really the rest of this 101st legislature. Go ahead, Chris. <laughs> <Good> pause. <laughs> ah, the joys of technology. No, we had uh, we had great participation this morning, and it was it was good to see. So the league, uh, for those who aren't familiar, the league has five internal policy review committees, and we appoint those at the beginning of every legislative session, and any league member uh, can participate. We've got, uh, as, as you mentioned, Matt, 170 folks on these five committees, and they're managers and mayors, council members, but they're also treasurers and clerks and fire chiefs and public works directors and planning directors and municipal attorneys. So it is a great cross section of our membership um, that really help us uh, do our job and, and help reach out to within their own communities to get us background on issues. But also then they are kind of the first line of engagement for talking with their local legislators on issues that are coming up. And they know firsthand some of the, the key issues that are happening um, you know, I'll be reaching out to my municipal finance committee this afternoon on some things that I just received in, uh, in my email box. So it's a, it is a great opportunity to participate, uh, to engage, and, and really to help us do a much more effective job as advocates in Lansing. Now, one of the things that came up at these committee meetings this morning, and also Chad referenced it too, was the uh, Consensus Revenue Estimating Conference. And the number escapes me, but I know we had a uh, billion dollars or so and more than they thought. Okay, Chris, what are you hearing from that? And, and what came up in the legislative committee? Is, is that going to trickle down to cities at all? Trickle down economics. I love it. Um, <laughs> Old school, 80s, Reagan. <laughs> I think that's, and, and Chad, feel free to jump in on this. I think that's a really open question. It's obviously book closing money, money that they discovered, discovered uh, above estimates from August is really one-time money, that's year-end money. How much do they, does the state need as it moves into its coming fiscal year to shore up any shortfalls that they see in the coming fiscal year? Uh, you know, what, what role does the, the federal money play? Because we all know from the, the CARES dollars we got in our August revenue sharing swap, those had a lot of strings on it. These federal dollars have similar strings. They're designed for specific purposes. So you know, the general operating, the general costs of a community there is no funding in this uh, for in this uh, stimulus for or in the governor's uh, proposal for. So that's something that we're going to have to really work on and try and find ways to utilize these dollars for purposes that will help out local government. I mean, Chad, are you seeing anything different? No, and I think there will be a lot of pressure on the legislature to to spend that money uh, in more of these grants for small businesses. Um, particularly the restaurant industry. I mean, they, the legislature appropriated some 56 million or so in December. Um, that money was applied for last week. We saw when they had a $10 million grant at MADC, 
back in, in early December, uh, they, you know, they, they had um, 15,000 people sign up or get in line in, in a matter of, of like a couple hours, one morning. Yeah, seconds. We were yeah. the, our foundation's the administrator of that grant. And we had 8,020 people apply for about 650 grants. And we had to cut it off at 9 p.m. because we just couldn't take anymore because we knew we couldn't give, couldn't get to the people at the end of the line. So yeah, yeah. you're right. Go ahead. Yeah, no. And so, I mean, I think there's going to be more, more demand to, to spend some of that uh, in a one-time appropriation here. Um, the legislature also might try to go back to the well and take some money and deposit in the, under the unemployment trust fund. Uh, like they did, they tried to do in December and the governor vetoed that $225 million um, uh, out of principle that, that the legislature, the general fund money has never been spent that way. Um, and then I think uh, roads, you know, <laughs> um, people are going to want to do something with roads. The, uh, the governor's bonding program is well underway, uh, but it's $3.5 billion over five years going into a, a bunch of highways and trunk lines. Yeah, it and, doesn't help our local governments. <laughs> no, and so I, I, if there is a deal to be done somewhere, it seems like filling some 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 street potholes would be, uh, or not just filling potholes, actually redoing those streets would be uh, more palpable and probably probably collect a lot more votes out of Southeast Michigan, I bet. <laughs> now, uh, one thing I wanted to bring Harris on, and one thing I know you're working on is um, a critical infrastructure worker. I believe we have a question that might be somewhat related to you, what you're gonna talk about. Um, so could you talk a little bit about that? Uh, what's the latest on this topic for critical infrastructure workers and, and, and COVID, uh, el I guess, eligibility or? or yeah, for sure. So vaccines, I know there's a lot of folks having concerns about whether or not they're available and who's eligible to get them. Um, in the earlier this year, the beginning of this year, uh, the different departments did reach out to our communities and MML did assist with gathering pre-estimate numbers of who could be eligible for the vaccine based on where their role is within the community. So we gathered numbers for wastewater treatment employees as well as some other, other agencies those numbers are not 100% though. And as we are prioritizing folks get the vaccines, there are still not, not as many available as there would be. So they're not, right now, many of our folks have not been included in 1A to 1B. That does not mean that it's not going to change. DHHS is working very closely with the governor's office as well with the federal administration to get access to the vaccination. So as there are more funds available to better distribute those vaccines, we'll be able to incorporate more folks and if there are communities that really see the need to identify folks as critical and get those vaccinations, they can reach out to their local health departments uh, at the county level to see if there is enough to share with those individuals. But we are continuing to advocate as for um, critical infrastructure workers to both have access to the vaccine as well as being exempt from the quarantine requirements that oftentimes hinder our folks from continuing the municipal services that we need. So the conversation is ongoing and I would recommend that folks do stay in contact uh, with their local health department, as well as continuing to monitor the updates that come from DHHS and uh, the uh, recommendations and guidance that's available on their website, which they've been uh, updating at a fairly frequent basis. All right, great. Thank I think that kind of answered Patricia's question and she goes, what happened with that? And we're working on that fix. So, um, so let's talk a little bit about uh, you guys in general. I know uh, Jen and, and others are doing meet and greets. This is the time of year where we meet with the, the new um, uh, legislature. I thought it was interesting in our previous event this morning, 
um, uh, Kyle Malin, who is a moderator of our panel with some panel of, uh, panel of legislators, Kyle's from uh, MERS News Service. He said of the 110 House elected um, people in the House, 110, 20 of them have local municipal, direct municipal background. And 52 of them have some kind of local experience when you add in schools and counties. So I got to think for you guys, as you're doing these meet and greets, that's helpful to have that. But there's still, you know, we're talking over about half still don't have that background or that experience. So you probably have to explain things like revenue sharing and the conflicts between Proposal A and Headley. Yeah, we've been having really great meet and greets with folks so far. We've prioritized our first couple of meetings with legislators who do have municipal experience. Uh, and each and every one of them, we've been really happy to start conversations about what they've been doing locally and how that translates to what, what they're doing at the state level. And I think we've got to shout out our Save My City program and all the advocacy that we've been doing throughout the years, because one thing that stood out in all of our meet and greets is that our new incoming members are very well versed in revenue sharing. And on top of that, many of them have come directly from elected office in their local communities and now to the state level. So not only are they well aware of what's been happening for years and years, uh, with reduced cuts to revenue sharing, but they also know what's been happening in the pandemic. And they've been on the front lines seeing a lot of the situations and issues that we no longer can ignore. So it's really exciting to see not only those folks coming with energy, but a lot of them taking now roles on tax policy and other legislative committees that dive into those topics as well with a renewed energy to push hard and advocate not just to their colleagues that are in their own caucus, but bipartisan in a bipartisan manner to make sure that these are in the forefront, forefront excuse me, for, for both caucuses as well as the governor's attention too. Um, and just to highlight again, like our members are amazing advocates for us on a grassroots front, like the same energy that we had this morning of folks wanting to get involved and participate on legislative committees. Like a lot of those members have participated on committees in the past and watching them bring that energy and that enthusiasm to the work that we're doing now is gonna be really helpful as we transition into this incoming term. Great. Jen, did you have something you wanted to add on that? I think so. I think Harrisana covered it. Um, we've completed just um, actually in between our kickoff and this event, we did another meet and greet. So we've completed about 11 meet and greets, I think. I think we have another 11 scheduled um, already on the books. Um, you know, as those numbers that you pointed out from Kyle early, earlier, we have eight new officials, eight new legislators that have direct um, city village, um, you know, specific municipal local government, um, a lot of new county officials and stuff, but still, um, so they understand revenue sharing, but look at it through a different lens. So um, we have focused on those eight um, folks and hoping to get them all to be part of the, the local government municipal caucus um, and having a stronger voice in the legislator, a legislature this new term. And we're really looking forward to, to working with those folks um, from both sides of the aisle. Right. Good. Uh, thank you. Um, anything more on that before I shift over to John on federal stuff? Because that's where a lot of the action has been happening <laughs> lately. Um, I think, Matt, just the one thing I'll add is we did get this last week uh, committee assignments announced. So okay. legislative policy committees uh, were announced in the House. Uh, obviously, new new session, new leadership in the House, 28 new members in the House. Uh, so we had a, a lot of committees uh, change over. Local government municipal finance was one of those changes. So Representative Julie Kelly. Um, of the Portland Ionia area is now uh, the new chair of local government municipal finance. That's and a big so, committee for us. Yeah. Uh, she's a former county commissioner. Uh, we have a lot of good, uh, good local government officials. You know that whole committee is has great background on local government and municipal issues. 
so we're very excited to get to work with Representative Kelly and the other members of the committee on on the really important issues we've been working on over the last for the last five six years. Okay. Definitely, those folks in District 87, um, please be talking to her um, or <laughs> getting that relationship built up if it's not already there. Yeah, and that's so important to have that because they decide what gets before their committees and whether they're going to hear our issues. So that's it's really important to have those relations so that we can get those topics before them. Um, so let's just shift to John a little bit. Uh, of course, if there's a new president in the office at the White House and uh, we got some talk of new stimulus or additional stimulus money. What's the latest on all of that? Yeah, I mean, this is one clearly the most exciting part of uh, our talk every every other week. Um, but you know, I, I find it fascinating to, to watch the process at the federal level uh, as it changes not only probably day by day, but usually hour by hour. And I, I think the sense of optimism that there's potential for a new stimulus is out there. But even if you just watch what's happened over the last 24 to 48 hours, there was a meeting this weekend uh, with the, the new administration and a bipartisan group of senators you know, that talked about the $1.9 trillion proposal that, that President Biden has put on the table. And, you know, the reports, should we, you know, believe them? And if, if there's some truth to that, you know, says that there's some questions on both sides of, of the aisle as it relates to that. Pretty sure that was my kid just falling out of the chair if everybody heard that. Um, well, yeah, it's lunchtime. So, you know, are they okay? Are they okay? <laughs> I, don't, I don't hear any crying. So I think, I think we're, I think we're okay. Um, okay. You know, no, no worries there. So uh, at, at the same time, um, you know, it's really interesting to follow, you know, kind of what, what the conversation is out there. Cause that package has everything to what we really care about, which is, you know, $350 billion for state and local aid, which is critical to, to our members but includes everything, uh, you know, from rental assistance to a $15, uh, you know, minimum wage uh, hike. And so, you know, those types of things, as we look at a comprehensive package, there's going to be agreement on some issues, disagreement on others. There's going to be thought process on whether the package um, that the, the administration has put forward is too big in terms of the amount of revenue, not, you know, uh, not big enough, depending on, on what issues you want to tackle. And then obviously the way in which this plays into, you know, vaccinations, the production of that, actually putting shots into arms and a variety of other things. So I think, you know, uh, based on a conversation that we were able to have last week with, with our federal partners at the National League of Cities, the optimism is still there that something can get done. I think the window of opportunity uh, to come up with a bipartisan solution remains probably within the first three to four months of this year. Uh, based on a variety of, of factors that, that play into that. But we also can't forget, right, and again, not, not, nothing political here, but they're going to deal with an impeachment coming up here uh, in another week and a half that, that's going to play into some of the conversations and the ability to, to act in a bipartisan fashion. They need to get cabinet sec secretaries uh, appointed and, and approved uh, and, and through the, the legislative process in the Senate. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done uh, in a very short period of time. But I think what we have seen, at least from the administration standpoint, um, is, is a very direct proposal and, and conceptually what they want to do. Now it's about continuing our advocacy here um, with uh, the state of Michigan and, and through 
NLC and, and with our partners in other states to try and make some of these things come to fruition, particularly on state and local aid. Just okay. on that, I think one of the, the important things that we picked up in, in talking with our partners at NLC and the other state leagues this last week is that there is, you know, in addition to the sense of urgency of trying to get something as soon as we can, because time is not our friend, uh, there's also the, a lot of confusion uh, amongst the congressional delegation across the country about what the actual need is for state and local aid. And, and the fact that state aid may be in a completely different place or the need for state aid may be in a completely different place than the need for local aid. Uh, we've certainly talked about it with our 24 income tax communities and the direct impact they're seeing today. But all of our other communities, as they start facing uh, you know, property tax appeals and changing valuations for closed businesses and vacant storefronts, you know, that pressure is gonna mount over the course of the next year or two. And we're seeing more and more, you look at the close-up study from U of M and some of the, the other analysis that's being done, kind of estimates right now, that is a, a, looming, a looming concern on the horizon. So helping our congressional delegation understand that the problem really is very real for our local governments is, is at top of the list. Uh, so as members, as, as you're watching today, as you have your coffee hours or your, your office hour breaks with your, your congressman or congresswoman, please make sure you share with them the stories of, of the, you know, the needs that are taking place at the local level. Um, you know, the cuts in revenue sharing that, you know, have taken place, the, the impacts on your property tax values, the impacts on city income tax revenues. So those types of things need to be heard and what that's doing to you locally. Uh, because without that, there is no urgency for Congress to act. Right. Chris, one question we got uh, a little bit related to this um, for you or any of the other members. Is there any update on the governor's economic plan, more specifically the forgiveness of late fees, interest on real property tax bills? That's the question there. So just in fact, as I was getting onto this, I received some of the initial language that the administration is proposing. So uh, it, you can see during, uh, during some of our lame duck wrap up blogs that we did on our Inside 208 legislative blog, talked a little bit about an effort that took place in lame duck where the legislature moved a, a bill that would have forgiven uh, for four specific industries uh, that have been significant, you know, close for a significant amount of the last year. Uh, given those four industries, anyone who was delinquent on their summer tax bill, uh, a deferral uh, until February, end of February, and then a reimbursement to the local unit for lost penalty and interest since that penalty and interest was being waived for those delinquent parcels. Uh, the governor ended up pocket vetoing that bill, and I think not out of a sense of opposition to the policy, but just in terms of how the, the program was being set up and, and in, the, in the legislation and how it would, would have been implemented or the concerns with how Treasury would have been able to implement that in such a short period of time. So I think the administration is coming back now with this proposal, and we, like I said, I've just been given the boilerplate language, so I have no details on how it would work yet. We have a meeting actually this afternoon at four o'clock with Treasury staff. And I'll be inquiring at that time, you know, what their plans are and how this would be laid out. So look for some more information on that from us uh, in the near future, in the next day or so, as we get additional details. But the, the, the goal, I think, of the governor's proposal is any delinquent, any 2020 summer tax bill delinquencies would have their, uh, their penalty and interest waived, and the state would appropriate dollars to refund uh, cities and villages and townships for those costs. All right. 
Good. I think that's most of the questions. I did have some housekeeping things before I uh, uh, depart, but feel free if you have any other questions after this, in the, always email any of us directly or post it on the Facebook and we'll, uh, ch uh, stream of this uh, conversation and we'll get back with you on that. Um, I do want to mention that our Capital Conference is coming up March 16th, 17th. Registration is now open for that. At our next uh, Live with the League on February 8th, I believe it is, uh, we're going to have a, a person from our events team to talk about Capital Conference. Um, so feel free to, to tune in for that. Um, Chad, I did want to thank you so much for having us on. Again, thank you for having Dan's column as, as part of your series in the forum. What are you working on next? What's the big one for, uh, see, this is January, so February or March. Well, what's your next one? Uh, in February, we're going to take a look at uh, mental health policy, uh, and there's been a long effort in Lansing to try to integrate behavioral health uh, into the normal uh, uh, healthcare system, and and it, they've never been able to get it past the finish line. And kind of going to kind of raise the question about whether if this pandemic doesn't uh, motivate people to do that uh, or what will. Um, and March, uh, looking at some recycling and sustainability issues um, and just how the bottle bill um, is holding up. Uh, uh, it's, uh, it's getting a little old and a little out. <laughs> uh, if you haven't noticed, there's a lot of things that don't have a 10 cent deposit on them and they're starting to end up in our landfills and it's showing in our recycling rates. All right. Um, and so um, this might be an, an, an issue of interest to municipalities that are uh, constantly um, trying to trying to wrestle that issue. So right, yeah, it's it's, it's a weird thing in our state because other states have kept up to where, where things that don't have fizz are recyclable, but in Michigan, unless it's carbonated, uh, you pretty much aren't recycling it. Yeah. So my my, my big, big example is that there are uh, Fago bottles, uh, same exact two liter, and one is is got a deposit and one doesn't. Uh, that's um, that's my uh, that's my very simple layman's uh, uh, explanation of, of the problem that someone needs to think about. All right. Well, good. Well, thank you so much, Chad, for joining us. And thank you for the series that you did and, and paying attention to these issues that our members care so much about. We appreciate it very much. Uh, another yeah. event. I, well, another I event. Say, go ahead, Chris. As we, as we close up some of this conversation, too, I want to mention uh, talking a lot about vaccinations and what's been going on at the state level. I know uh, a number of our members in uh, are, have been just appointed to a new commission that the governor um, created and our own John Lamacchia has been uh, placed on that organization uh, mm -hmm. on behalf of the league to represent uh, communities. Now, John, if you want to spend a minute just talking about what the governor's uh, committee is supposed to do. Uh, yeah, I'd be um, <laughs> happy to chat about it, uh, I guess. Yeah. So, uh, so the, the governor back in December created through uh, executive action, the Protect Michigan Commission. And just today, about an hour and 15 minutes ago, she officially appointed a number of different uh, people to be a part of that commission. I am uh, fortunate enough to, to have been appointed, um, not necessarily to represent myself, but to, to represent uh, the league as a whole and, and our members. Uh, so I'm very excited to, to bring our voice to the table. And, you know, it's, it's going to deal with a number of things, but the primary focus of this is really to talk about uh, the rollout of the, the, the vaccine and making sure people understand that it is safe to get uh, and that they should be getting it working towards the, the governor's goal uh, currently of vaccinating 70% of people that are, are 
age 16 and, and over. So there is a, a number of different subgroups that are associated with it. Uh, one of those deals specifically with local government. So as we talk uh, not only in our conversation today uh, about you know, the importance of communities being a component of the economic uh, recovery here and any sort of plan and proposal that would go towards that, you know, vaccinations and the distribution of that vaccination is a key component of that, both to what we have to do uh, from individual municipalities in terms of providing core services, but also our ability to interact with residents and businesses within our community to talk about not only where they get it, but that it, like I said, that it's safe, that it's, uh, you know, available, who it's available to and when, and make sure that we are reaching our goals around that. So, uh, thanks for bringing that up, Chris. Uh, I appreciate it. I'm excited to, like I said, do that on behalf of the organization. And uh, hopefully we we have an opportunity to bring your voice to the table. And the last thing I will say is we are joined by a number of other um, either local elected officials or those that represent communities and the local government uh, subcommittee will be chaired by our very own uh, vice president, Mayor uh, Waterman from the city of Pontiac. Oh, that's great. Yeah, she's awesome. Okay. Thank you. Um, any other things? Any other things I missed, guys? All right, I did. I did miss uh, mentioning that we have on February fourth um, a municipal finance webinar of the league's Tony McGinney. It's kind of finance for the non-finance people, particularly a lot of your newly elected people that are just getting into the budget process. A lot of our communities are starting that up for this year. Uh, this would be a great uh, webinar. It's a free webinar we're doing. You can find it, information about it on mml.org. Uh, and our event calendar and sign that up, sign up for that. Um, so without any other uh, further uh, interruptions or uh, comments, we'll, we'll sign off. Thank you guys. Please join us again for the next uh, Live with the League on Monday, uh, from February 8th. Thank you guys. Thank you. Thanks again, Chad. Thanks, Chad. Thanks, everyone. Yep. This has been a production of the Michigan Municipal League. For more information on our programs and services, please visit www.mml.org and join us for the next episode of We Love Where You Live.